0: You've got your OGs, like the heavy hitters, high THC, and then you've got your your value, your daily specials, like the the pre-roll, the people who like to consume pre-rolls. But then on the other side, there's this wellness community that is emerging. So the daily sativa consumers that actually consume to like from a performance standpoint. So there's a lot of opportunity there.
1: Hi, this is Neil, and it's time for a special bonus edition of Cannabis Daily. On November the 3rd, over 400 industry leaders, investors, and policymakers gathered at the New York Academy of Medicine to discuss the future of the New York cannabis market. Here is one of the speakers at that event. By the way, tickets are now on sale for the 2023 conference in October next year. Get them now. At
2: cannabisnewyork.live. So now our next panel will touch on trends, behaviors, and insights that help paint an accurate profile of today's consumers. Welcome, moderator and good friend of mine, Andrew Ward, a well known cannabis reporter, and his panelists, Jeff finnerty CMO of Air Wellness, Andreas Newman, CEO of Jushi, and Francisca Vavala of president of sales joint and Anne Forkutza, head of strategic growth for Dutchie. Welcome to
3: this uh, great panel here. Really excited to talk to everyone about the modern cannabis consumer. Uh, Vlad nailed it right on the head here, basically was my opening question to the panel here. You know, Who is the modern cannabis consumer? It feels like it's pretty much every consuming adult at this point. No, everyone has an opinion on here. Wanna open up just running down the line here? Uh, start off for us.
4: Sure. Uh, my name is Francesca, and I believe that the modern cannabis consumer contains multitudes, if I can borrow some poetry there, <laughs> because what prohibition did was it forced consumers to consume discreetly, to consume secretively, and because of that, it allowed it. Prohibition then used. The consumers to create negative stereotypes and further the stigma of cannabis. And so now with cannabis out and consumers able to safely consume loudly and proudly, we can see that consumers are and probably to some extent always have been everybody. So what we need to do with modern cannabis consumers is to make sure that we as business owners and whether that is you are doing a delivery service or you have cultivation or you're running a retail business, whatever it is, that you're not looking at all consumers and painting them with the same brush. You have to actually segment them because they are individuals and they want to be treated as individuals and not the collective because that's the treatment of prohibition.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. And would you like to pick up from that?
0: Yes. Thank you, Andrew. And Thank you, Business of Cannabis and Prohibition and Partners for putting on this event. I'm with Detchy. Those of you who are not familiar with Detchy, we provide an all-in-one dispensary platform solution specifically designed uh, for the cannabis retailers, where there are lots of cannabis consumers. And we work with over 6,000 dispensaries all across North America, uh, including Canada, which is where I currently reside. I'm in Vancouver, Canada home of the beautiful BC Bud. And last week I was actually at an event. Um, So the reason why I'm on this panel is providing the Canadian perspective. Um, We're four years into federal legalization. Now in Canada, spoiler alert, federal legalization is not this magic silver bullet (laughs) that everyone thinks it is. But in saying that, we have learned a lot about what this modern cannabis consumer is. Uh, And last week, um, the Ontario Retail Cannabis Association, they did publish a report that said that the modern cannabis consumer uh, falls into four different camps. So on one side, you've got more of, I'll call them the legacy consumers. So you've got your OGs, like the heavy hitters, high THC, and then you've got your your value, your daily specials like the the pre-roll. The people who like to consume pre-rolls, but then on the other side, there's this wellness community that is emerging. So the daily sativa consumers that actually consume to like for from a performance standpoint. Um, so there's a lot of opportunity there. And then you've got the wellness where it's the uh, low THC, high CBD, CBN, CBG's. So there's there's lots of opportunities there too as we look at the the spectrum of the modern cannabis consumer.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, do you want to pick up from there?
2: Sure. I mean, it's it's a, a fascinating question, right, to try to define who is the, the cannabis consumer, and, and and the answer is it's very broad and it's evolving is actually the the really the most interesting piece of it. If you you know, we operate in um, in eight different states and uh, across a variety of different. Uh, kind of consumer archetypes, but it, it literally changes month by month. BDS did a, a study back in, in December of last year presented that whether it be medical or, or uh, adult use, adults, the total population of adults 21 and over, 73% of folks in those markets had either purchased legal cannabis in the last six months or were open and willing to try it, right? And that broke down to about 43% Uh, having had purchased cannabis in the last six months. And 30% were open to trying or willing to to do that. Same study presented again uh, here in New York at MJ Impact. Percent in those same markets were combined, interested or had purchased. But now 46% had purchased in the last six months and 27% were still interested. So in those six months, 10% of that potential addressable market, those consumers had entered the legal cannabis market. And so that changes the makeup of the consumers you're talking to on a daily yeah. basis because these are people who have never been consumers that are that are coming in. that's a large rate, right? That's a, a 3% shift of the total adult population in 38 states that have entered the market. So you know when you think about the sheer size of that, 73% are either consumers now for us or potential consumers. And, and how do we want to talk to them? How do you want to build a strategy around that? And you think about from a retail perspective, but well, you've got to be kind of everything to everyone, right? You need to be approachable, but you've got to be educational. You've got to be able to meet anyone wherever they are in their cannabis journey. And when we think about it from a product brand portfolio, right, that's where you have the ability, because you can if you try to, you, you achieve saying nothing because you just it just falls flat right so we've been very intentional from a from a product brand portfolio in trying to understand how people segment themselves right the products kind of segment segment themselves across form factors but consumers right when you think about axes of value to premium you know, what, what's what's in the wallet uh, entry to expert right the way that we would talk to somebody who might be interested in purchasing a Levia seltzer which is a low dose sociable experience it's a a crossover, maybe from someone who's a white claw consumer, very different than uh, you know our origin brand, which is focused on solventless concentrates, right? You know, very different consumer. And so, by using you know our retail environment to try to be everything to everyone is, is is kind of on one end of the spectrum, and trying then to build an intentional, manageable brand portfolio that has different voices and intention to talk to different groups of people who are on different points of their cannabis <laughs> But it's, it is the, the consumer, it's very hard to find an architect because we're going to talk to them. It's, it's easier to talk about use case and need states and try to address your conversations that way because there, there is no small pocket of, oh, well, 30% of them are all just like this. right? Yeah. Yeah. But you can identify why they're using and in what way and when and then kind of talk about you know, those pieces
3: yeah it's really interesting the wide pool fine lines to walk really kind of you know just trying to find the right balance to really strike there uh andreas you want to bring it home do you want to yeah. add, add any more to that before we hello that? everybody
5: good morning good afternoon it's great to be here so we start i have to take this a little bit different because you guys <laughs> it's hard to go last year <laughs> but what else we made it there? tough for you so so the thing is so when we started jushi like four years ago we were just a literally a powerpoint presentation and we were able to raise money and then it was a decision was made what do we start first so we did retail first this was our strategy and that at that time i think was interesting there was no really we we bought our first uh, retail brand beyond Hello, in pennsylvania a medical state and what happened was like these these were totally non-digital so you didn't know who the customer was that was interesting and that always obviously is like in lots of uh, smaller stores and not being part of a mso is still the case so people don't know the customer so who is the customer most of the time it's a customer like around six miles around the actually facility or the the dispensary because it's like it's like the local store right people go to the local store and so then we we started to install in the midst of covid uh, we started to install systems like dachi like like jane and that changed the game. Now we saw at least who came, what are they buying? What are, the, what are the habits? When are they coming back? Which days are the great days? So that goes that goes in all that data now started to come in. Then we had to build our data warehouse. We had to think about big data. We had to think about what brands we're going to create, what you just said, what brands we're going to create for those customers, what are they looking for? Uh, we have lots of medical states. So we're in six states, We're starting in Virginia down to Nevada. So you have customers in Virginia, completely new to the game, or you have like in Nevada, you have like tourists coming in from all over the world. So it's everybody wants it. People have their circle uh, to get introduced to it. I think uh, sometimes vaping is first, and then they go into edibles, and then the edibles maybe bad experience, too much edibles, then they go somewhere else, and they end up the absolute connoisseur ends up in concentrates maybe. So it's really. It's really uh, from our profiles now. After we've collected, we've grown to nearly 40 stores now, in six states. So I would say it's an older demographic. The younger demographic, under 25s, they go still illicit market because it's cheaper. And then we're seeing women and women and men nearly equally. Women a little bit more. More and women always more important than men because they make all the decisions, as we know surprisingly gets a little bit older and those people they of course they they're looking for pain and stress balance their life in a different way than than with uh with with other with other uh ingredients you could take so i think it it it, it's a little bit older demographic but it really depends for each store around the about the surrounding right you have this this literally they six miles circle around it i would say
0: Yeah. And New York, especially, too. I just want to jump in. You mentioned the different neighborhoods like New York. It's its own country in some sense. Right. How you how you market and speak to consumers in western New York or upstate is very different than how you would market to like the city even.
3: Yeah, absolutely. The segmentation, focusing on the market, is such an important aspect, and we're just starting to realize it, or understand it. It seems like you know, with the, such a large consumer base, everyone thinks like, oh, cannabis can turn a profit. Obviously, that has been a struggle, and you know, there's many, many hurdles to it. One of the big ones that we talked about previous to this was excise taxes, but there seems to be a lot of hurdles in uh, reaching that large market base and turning a profit. Can kind of shed some light on just some of the hardships that uh, brands have had to face, and you know, just targeting that audience as well as just becoming a profitable industry. Uh Andy, you want to start us? I know you were talking about the I
0: think report. Dre should go first, just because you no, know he you. had to go last. So yeah. I
5: think thank happy
0: you.
5: to turn it over. Yeah. So so we talk about brands, right? Uh, for example. So brands, I think they have a very, very hard time at the moment. Uh, specifically those markets like California. There's so much demand, there's so much product, and everybody's fighting for like 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 the store space. So retail is a good place to be, I think. What we do is we really starting really to focus now on our house brands and there's the challenge now we have the data There's the challenge how to decide where to focus on so there's lots of categories sometimes like one interesting category we found we kind of invented that there's a brand we have called sachet which is just the stuff which falls down on the floor normally and then goes to distillation normally so we said let's make a product out of it it's the good stuff it doesn't look as good but it's it's ground up and it's like maybe a smaller b or c buds you put into a jar and you sell it for a very good price. And it's an adventure. You don't promise anything. And it's like it's it's what it is. Get never complains. And it satisfy kind of the consumer who looks for sometimes higher THC and high THC, low price is the game, right? So with that all said, I think it's it's a challenging uh, environment at the moment to be a brand. There's not really brands yet. And, and, and it's all about, I think, of course there's brands specific in edible more processed flour really hard to brand it. it's just about it's like a you should go into a bakery and then you're not buying the the, the the baguette because it's from some certain has great packaging or something it looks looks good that baguette i buy it so i think branding is coming it's going to be huge and now we're creating the brands of the future but it's very hard because it's all about something else at the moment and it's hard to Beat the prices. I mean, everybody's in a price race, and everybody tries to be cheaper and cheaper. And you have a hard time to to enter the, that 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 price and stay with it if you're a brand. So if you're a dispensary like us, so like you have lots of stores, you can do house brands. So you can make that much more uh, much more efficient, uh, more profitable, and have still you have to offer the the other ones as well to be fair and to, to satisfy the demand of the consumer who actually there's some consumer already who want the Camino gummies, who want the Wild gummies, they don't take anything else because they have a good experience with it. They're consistent. So, but I think for everybody to finish it off, focus on quality. If you have the quality right, then you can build a brand, not the other way around, because one time you get something bad, you're never going to go back to it.
2: Uh, yeah, I agree with, with, with. With with all of that, I mean, I think you've got two separate challenges uh, if you're building a brand to, to get to profitability, right? You've got the kind of consumer market dynamics on one hand, and you've got the regulatory, uh, you know, issues on the other. So, I mean, from a regulatory standpoint, you've got 280E, you've got taxes, all, all of those things that play a role in your ability to get to profitability. And over time, right, as we think that we see the federal movement and, and other things happening, like those things will take care of themselves and there's a bright future. Uh, for brands that can uh, establish themselves and survive. From a business standpoint, um, you know, there is there are, there are every market that you operate in has a different supply and demand mechanism, right? And and where you see more and more markets that, that tend to have more and more supply that's outpacing uh, demand growth, whether that's a medical market like Pennsylvania where you've got stagnant medical uh, patient cardholders, uh, yet there's, you know, new facilities coming online to produce product. Uh, it creates pricing pressure right and so if if uh if you're trying to build a brand and and the brand becomes thc percentage hunting versus uh price uh that's a very difficult uh place to be and it's you're not going to have longevity right so how do you build pricing power right which is which is the ability to understand you've got to deliver a high quality product that's consistent uh at a good value but that you're you're your entire message can't be price, 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 and THC percentage, right? Because ultimately those things don't necessarily define quality or value. So the, the challenge is, our CEO talks all the time, he's like, you know, there are eight states, you know, I buy an iPhone in Iowa, it works exactly like the one I bought in Florida, right? And so for us to build a brand portfolio, you know, it's easy, easier from an edible standpoint, from a vape standpoint, from a concentrate standpoint even to say, here is the process right this is this percent distillate if we use these cannabis derived terpenes that are the same that we can that we can add in every state so that when you buy an entourage vape in florida nevada arizona massachusetts from our company it's the exact same sop the terps are exactly the same and a distillate base is a distillate base right so the more that we can do that we can build brands that have a foundation i think the foundation when you think about all the different messaging and you want to talk about you know beautiful packaging and all those other things but if there it's an agricultural product that we're trying to sell that people put into their bodies and if it does not start with a foundation of trust transparency science and quality it's a house of cards so whatever our creative teams can come up with to make it look awesome and have great talking points and you know flashy videos if we don't have a foundation of That's those right. things, it doesn't matter. matter. And and could not agree anymore?
3: Really yeah. Absolutely. Anyone, I take from there.
0: Yeah. So I'll I'll take a slightly different approach. Um, but just to build up on the foundation component, what we've seen in in Canada is um, the the excise tax has eventually has essentially like crippled a lot of these really good brands um, and craft cannabis. Uh, craft cannabis companies, uh, just because the excise tax in Canada starts at the wholesale level. So when you look at the unit at a, of economics, um, certain assumptions were made where the total cost of goods were maybe in the $3 to $4 range uh, per gram. And then that that has since evolved into $10, $11. So when you think about the excise tax being taxed On at the wholesale level, by the time it gets to the consumer, and by the time it gets to that retail level, you have that compounding tax effect, um, and the union economics just does not make sense. And so, entire it it's crippling the industry before it's even starting. I'm really hopeful in New York because there's been a lot of conversation and communication that's been happening. So it's all about just working with the regulators, working with the government officials, and letting them know, like, because it's. People, the regulators, they're not there to make our lives miserable. Um, They, you know, they've got their own deadlines, too, and and they're just taking what in theory might make sense. Um, So I think it's our job to to learn from other industries, whether it's Canada or other states, and then just have the union economics work from the very beginning. Uh, so we can price things reasonably and accordingly and have really good quality craft brands that can be made in small batches, but also can still be affordable for the end consumer. So I think that that, that will help and there's an opportunity in New York to to get it right.
3: Absolutely. And Francesca, what, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Thank you. Um, well, I think profitability doesn't get anywhere without sales which unfortunately in cannabis is considered a four letter word uh, because there's a stigma around sales. I mean, as a profession in general, the idea that sales is, is sleazy, it's, it's cheesy, it's boring, it's annoying. And the nicest thing anybody says about sales is that anyone can do sales. Well, when that said, I know that that means nobody's owning it and it's not a priority. And sales needs to be your second priority in your cannabis business, second only to product quality, which let's assume compliance is not an issue. So if you make sales your second priority, then you can talk about how to improve the wholesale infrastructure to create an experience that the people who are buying from you want to have again. Because as we know, keeping an existing customer is way cheaper than acquiring new customers. So profitab- profitability is built on the back of repeat sales, which requires a prioritization of sales and in particular, what we call professional sales and taking care of the wholesale infrastructure, managing your customer pyramid, making sure that you're intentionally and strategically working your sales efforts and not relying on one component in it, such as branding or quality or whatever it is, it needs all of that. So if we make sure that we prioritize sales, talk about sales, train our salespeople, manage our salespeople, create environments our salespeople want to be in for a long-term because they have a career in sales, then we can create environments that have brands, that have experiences, that are repeatable, sustainable, and growth-oriented.
3: Absolutely, thank you all for that, I appreciate that. This next question, yeah. Um, this next question deserves a lot more time than we have for it, but I just want to kind of get in here because it's a really important topic. We're talking about bringing over legacy markets, the OG buyers, that, like Ann mentioned, you know, the being the buying segment. A lot of times we feel larger companies are talking about it, but is it actually being prioritized about bringing these groups over? Is it still important to cater to the OG market and try to bring them over from the unlicensed side to buying over? And if it is, what is your company doing to bring them over? And I do apologize. We only have a couple minutes for that, so uh, uh, we'll just write it back down the line.
4: Sure. So, <laughs> so the question is, what what can we do to bring the illicit consumers over to the legal market, right?
3: Yeah. And is your company? Is there any examples that you can offer up from your company, or any ideas that you think the market could benefit from?
4: Yeah. I think I think the idea is that you know the illicit market is is an established market, and so the only way to win illicit market consumers is the same way you compete in any other market, which is you find the gaps in that service and in and then you try and fill those gaps you also have to meet what they obviously value in their deals with their plugs and you know their their other people their hookups and their connections so you've got to make sure that if they are valuing relationships Oh, you are providing a relationship experience and then on top of that you are looking at what maybe their plugs can't provide is it consistency trans you know is it is it consistency is it product quality is it testing is it transparency is it reliability whatever it is fill the gaps match the needs and then also consider is that even your best customer because it costs money to get them so make sure that you do it Thoughtfully so that you can get a proper ROI on if you're gonna bring those people over.
3: Thanks. And uh,
5: I can I can go on to, I have a nice story. I think we we have in this market in the market is Nevada. We have we acquired like a, a retail chain called New Leaf, and there's one store which is uh in, in we call it Twain Street. It's very close to the strip, it's like close to the wind hotel, there's all the entertainment there. So this is a location which is competing literally with the illicit market, right? Like there's like there's And you can see it with the customers. So as I said before, every store has its own story. It's like its own hermit kingdom, I always call it. So there's a specific profile. So the experience of that store is totally different than all our other stores. It's kind of a French bistro, fast check-in. You walk in, you see the, the butts on the shelves like in a bakery, not like packaged in beautifully like in there all like on all the brands packaging it's just you see the <laughs> you see the butts on the on the, the shelves and people go in and choose it and then you most most of them you sell our house brand and this is the same name name of the store so you can see from the customer profile they're coming in they're thinking really shall i wait an hour outside on for my dealer or shall i just go there and pay like ten dollars more so the prices are so so uh, competitive with the illicit market there so that's that's the strategy there's even billboards we have like i mean, have nowhere in the country like that there is like 49 49 dollars this and that so that yeah. works you can see even the billboards are working Billboards are working nowhere normally in <laughs> medical markets or something you always see a billboard and then you go to the next dispensary close to you even with some other brand but um there it works so you have to tailor basically your store to the environment, and to 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 compete with the illicit market, you have to do that, right? So, so you have to create your environment for that. For the, I guess where it's other other place, if you have a dispensary in Santa Barbara, and you have all the the there's no there's no not a big illicit market, so then it's a different looking uh, dispensary, obviously a different concept even of the store. That's our thing
3: sorry we we're just figuring out some time we got a few I more see, extra I, minutes i saw that i saw that <laughs> all right guys uh or anybody want to jump in
2: yeah i mean i think you know it's it, it really comes back to who's the consumer okay now we want to talk about people who have uh have established patterns and behaviors around uh you know interacting with a legacy market versus uh you know a new a new legal market and and what can you bring to the table for them uh that would want them to to change their established pattern of behavior right i think it starts at the community level if you're going to open a dispensary in a community right you want to make sure that we're staffing that store with a reflection of the community around it so the people that are working in that store are a reflection of me as somebody who's in 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 that environment okay how, how are we making an impact right i mean one of the things that uh, you know our vision as a company is to is to be a force for good uh and to have a lasting positive impact on every community customer and partner that we interact with so what can we do you know we have we have some some really uh, well-defined national uh, corporate social responsibility programs, but what, can, what what can we do in the community on a, on a community level basis? so people see not only people that look talk live like they do working in those stores, but then contributing within the community. I think that's one thing you can do. The second part is, Again, we're talking about establishing a business, a legal business in a market where where, where there was an illegal business uh, around a product that is an agricultural product you put in your body, right? So it does come back to trust, transparency, safety, and science, right? I, you can, there is traceability, seed to sale exactly where this came from. This was tested. Here's exactly what's in the product. You, you know, you don't get that in, in a legacy market. So I, I think it's really about building community about being transparent about who you are, about understanding what's around you and making sure that 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 we're hiring from the base of people that are in the community, that we're we're empowering them to make an impact in the community. and then providing a transparent, safe uh, experience that's consistent that you can rely on. And, and over time, we should be able to win those consumers over.
0: Yeah, I love your point about the community and Dutchy were exactly the same way, and and it it depends on the different pockets of community too. Like how how Dutchy partners in the Bronx is very different than how we partner with our community members of Buffalo, for example, right? So it is all about it's all about bringing education and mentorship to each community, but also learning from them too. Like what do they want? What do they want to learn about? What do they find valuable? right so it's actually like we partner with various workforce development groups um, who uh, focus on helping uh, the justice involved um, we also are part of various educational um, associations like within each borough to offering um, free not just free software education not not just free software education but dispensary education as well too because we had the opportunity to, to partner with over 6,000 dispensaries. So we've we've learned a lot, learned a lot from our dispensary partners, you know, like, like Jishi, like like the people I see here in AYR. So it's, it. I think that when, when we partner with the community and we bring on the legacy operators through education and through mentorship, and it starts from that beginning, then the legacy consumers, they will naturally come.
3: Interesting. And, you know, focusing in on New York on uh, the last few minutes that we have, I think now on this last few minutes that we have, uh, New York is, you know, obviously we've been talked about the largest cannabis consuming uh, place in the world by a large amount. Deep root connections to the legacy market, to the unlicensed side of the market. Um, we are seeing with the OCM bringing those groups over through the card applications, but you know, still a lot of buyers are still being reluctant. Obviously, from what we're hearing is it takes a lot of community building and building it over there. What is the confidence that the legacy market buyers from New York are going to come over in any sort of time? Uh, there seems to be deep rooted commitments, You know, plug loyalty, concerns about pricing, all the general issues plus just new york cannabis culture uh in there what is the thought and you know does that matter to the success of the new york market or or can we focus on other buyers and let the og market stay as
5: it is uh anyone want to jump in there we free for all it (laughs) i don't i don't know so much about the new york market because we're not in the new york market however i think it's like it's one of the it's the greatest city in the world as we know and maybe the great second greatest is la but (laughs) but new york will be i think a very challenging place to to play because there's it's already so it's already so active in like in in these areas and people are used to their ways it's going to take a while i think to to work itself out there's a lot of changes going to be having the to be fixed now i hear there's a you you cannot be vertically integrated i just heard that earlier so that's a big challenge oh my god Uh, and so on. I think it's going to be challenging, but it works. It will work itself out over the years. It's lots of, lots of hills to climb.
4: Yeah, I think the mature consumers that have spent a majority of their time in the illicit market and they have their established sources are going to be the hardest to transition into the legal market. And so you really have to think about what is it worth? And also like, what is it that they need? What is it that they want? And also understand that um, this isn't this isn't a one size fits all and and all or nothing kind of situation personally i'm a hybrid buyer you know we can buy from both legal and illegal sources and still feel the safety and transparency so i think to get the illicit buyers to buy from you they need to have a reason and sometimes what happens in a lot of organizations in the echo chambers of the the boardroom is that they get really attached to the words that they've created that are their value and they haven't tested them actually in the market. And so I'm just going to pick on, you know, quality for the easiest one here is if you are promoting yourself as having a higher quality than the illicit, you know, and your illicit consumer is saying, well, I don't trust your lab testing. Then your entire, you know, differentiation is moot and irrelevant to the person that you're trying to convince. So make sure that your, um, that your offer meets the client where they are or the prospect where they are and actually speaks to converting them rather than being something that you like the sound of. It's, it's not about you. It's never been about you. It'll never be about you. It is about them. Think of the buyer first. Think like a
0: buyer in order to sell to
4: the buyer.
3: Anyone else want to jump on in?
0: Yeah. Uh, just like going back to your question about, you know, just people being hesitant and like legacy operators and, and consumers jumping into um, the legal framework. I, I mean, it it is, what's important here is in New York, what's very unique that I've never seen in Canada or in any other state is that is the conversation, the back and forth conversation, right? I I think that the OCM has done um, a phenomenal job communicating the progress and being as transparent as possible. Um, so through that, it's, it's you know maybe it we're all in this hurry up and wait industry, right? So it, I think it's natural for people to be hesitant, wait, wait for the dust to settle um, with the you know the card applicants and the announcements. And and I will give New York credit where it's like okay, we see something wrong with the lab testing piece that just came out you know that that was an error and then it got corrected and it got corrected quite quickly so i think this whole industry is about learning from one another and and i think new york has an opportunity to to really get it right so just because there's some initial hesitation i think that that's natural and that that's smart but it doesn't mean that it's going to happen forever because this industry will keep changing
5: big big tourist market as well so you see this in vegas that's this exactly. is in, incredible like what happens when those those planes coming in and, and 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 people looking for stuff and they will likely maybe buy more uh legal because they anyway in the, the mood of spending right tourists to go somewhere have some fun and be safe so i think that's a has to have some big focus on that as well
0: one thing that we do need to focus on uh, that i've seen is that we all forget that the average consumer doesn't live eat and breathe this industry like we do right so they yeah exactly there's is that education they'll think oh like new york's legal now but then when you have um, a food truck or a bodega that's selling cannabis they're like oh well they're not shut down so obviously they're selling the legal stuff right um so they're there does need to be some collaboration in terms of a level of enforcement for people who, and, and then, you know, legacy is a spectrum, right? There are some people, you know, that that do want to, like, go legal, but then there's other people that they, you know, they'll, they never want to be in the legal framework, and we we can't just lump them all in the same group, right? Yeah. So.
3: I think that pretty much is the perfect way to sum that up. I think we can talk about this a lot more, but I appreciate you all for diving in on this uh, complex subject. Uh, A lot of perspectives, a lot of people to be considering. Thank Thank you very much for putting this together. Thank Thank you. Thank you Thank you thank
0: you 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 so much.
1: So there you have it. That was Andrew Ward, cannabis reporter and moderator. Jeff Finity, the chief marketing officer at Air Wellness. Andreas Newman, chief creative officer at Jushi. Francesca Vavala, President, the sales joint, and Anne Fukutsa, Head of Strategic Growth for Duchy. And they're all speaking at Business of Cannabis in New York last week. Now you can secure your seat at next year's event right this second. It's scheduled for the 4th of October 2023. Tickets are on sale at live You'll find the link in the show notes.